When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 26, and we are recording on Wednesday, May 23rd. I'm Katie McLean, along with Rincey Abraham, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Katie. Hi, Rincey. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Oh, you know, Wednesday, just kind of schlepping along. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I had my um, nephew's eighth grade graduation today so I had quite a bit of feelings just realizing that I now am the aunt of someone who is in high school which is a very weird feeling you know now that now that you mentioned it I was just like wait a minute (laughs) it's like yeah that's and because I mean not to hate to betray your age over the podcast but you just turned 30 right I'm 31 31 okay yeah. So, I mean, my sister just, I mean, I don't mind talking about it. It's not that big of a deal. Me and my sister have a seven year age gap, me and my oldest sister. And then um, my sister got married really young. So she got married when she was 22. And so she had him when she was, I don't know, I can't do that math, like 25 or something, 26 or something like that. I, I was basically I was a junior in high school when he was born. So it's like weird to me like in my head I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I was in high school when he was born and now he's going to high school." Oh my goodness. I, I thought and Blaine's uh Blaine has one nephew who turned 4 this year and I was freaking out going, "Oh my gosh, he's 4 years old." <laughs> and then you're like, "Oh no, he's going to high school." I'm like, "Oh yeah, no, I I haven't haven't quite hit that that point yet." <laughs> I mean, I think it's just crazy to me because, like, obviously, like, there's such an age gap between me and my sister that, like, me and him are so close in age. So it's really funny because, like, we, like, talk about things. And my sister's like, why do you know all of this? And I'm like, because I'm, like, an immature teenage boy. Because we talk about things like Pokemon and, like, comic books. And my sister's like, how do you have so much in comic with him? It doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, yeah, well. Don't question it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, to get your mind off of the feels and the weirdness, (laughs) um, tell tell everyone about the giveaway that we that I want everyone to enter for for us. I know this is this is just not fair. The fact that we have to talk about all these great giveaways that Book Riot does, uh, but Book Riot has a brand new giveaway that just started, and this is for a five hundred dollar gift card to the bookstore of your choice. Um, so you can head to bookriot.com slash bookstore five hundred, and that's five zero zero to enter. It is running from. Now until June 21st, uh, so you can go ahead and head to the website to enter. And so this one is great because uh, no matter where you live, you probably have a bookstore near you. Or if you don't, you can do like Amazon or something along those lines. And yeah, you can just pick whichever one you want. You could do an indie, you could do Barnes & Noble, you could do Waterstones, The Strand, who cares? Uh, So yes, go enter right now. All you have to do is fill out the form on the page. And again, that's uh, bookriot.com slash bookstore 500. 
I'm just trying to imagine what I would do with $500 of books. I mean, like, part of me, yeah, whenever these giveaways come up, I always think, I'm like, how much do you, do I think I would end up spending in, like, the first go? Because, you know, like, the when you first get it, you'll probably spend, like, 100 or two probably at once because you'll go crazy. And then I would try to, like, spread it out over time. But part of me also – and then I also think about, like, where I would get it to. Like, would I just get Barnes & Noble? Because I do go to – there is one near my work, so I do go there often enough. Or sh- do I get one to my indie? Like, I, not that I have one specific indie. Maybe I could do half-price books. Yeah, so that's I, that was my thought. I would be like, I would so do half-price books. Yeah, that's actually – yeah, now that I said that out loud, I'm like, no, that's the best option because you'll get the most bang for your buck for sure, a half-price. Mm. Oh, okay, well – I'm going to give myself ideas if I start thinking about this too much. (laughs) So um, for anyone who is just now tuning in, um, we talk about mysteries and thrillers on this podcast and we talk about new releases and adaptations and mystery news and uh, current things going on in the world of mysteries and thrillers and true crime uh, updates and themed book lists and topics that listeners have emailed us about that they think would be um, that they're interested to hear more about or to get reading recommendations for. So we we cover a little bit of everything on this show, um, and so I'm I'll use that as my as my segue to mention that if you have a topic or something that or a, a mystery related question or something that's come up in the news or a new adaptation that's coming out or whatever it may be if you have something that you are interested in hearing us uh talk about or uh make recommendations for send us an email or contact us we'll have our contact information at the end of the show but we really love hearing from listeners and you guys help give us ideas for for new episodes um so you're you guys are really helping us when you when you email us um so i just wanted to throw that out there um this week for for news i think i think it's kind of fitting we don't have much this week in terms of news because last week i think we had a buttload of stuff we had so much stuff last week. If you didn't listen, there's so many things being adapted and so many different announcements made. So definitely listen to that episode if you haven't already. Um, but yeah, so um, one thing that I that I noticed come up in one of our one of the book riot newsletters that I subscribe to, um, if you read the Millennium Trilogy by Stieg Larsson, which was also known as the Elizabeth Salander and the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and all of that good stuff, um, if you're a fan of that trilogy, uh, Elizabeth Salander is actually getting her own uh, comic series. So um, I'm trying to bring up the article without all the ads popping up. Um, in August, Titan Comics is... Uh, releasing the a graphic novel, The Girl Who Danced with Death. Um, so it's going to be a kind of a continuation of the series, which has had, um, was it The Girl in the Spider's Web was the continuation from the original trilogy, and so now it's getting a graphic novel adaptation. Um, and so, yeah, that's going to be coming out uh, towards the end of the summer, it looks like. And just from the quick preview that they provided in the article, and we will... Uh, We'll we'll have a link to this in the show notes so you can see you can see what I'm seeing right now. But the artwork looks totally badass. Like this, there there's just no other way to describe that. That is, 
that 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 look it looks re- it looks really intense and um i'm hoping we'll capture the the essence of lisbeth salander because i wasn't i i have to say i was not a huge fan of the trilogy for various reasons but i really i really thought lisbeth was an interesting character so th- this might this might be uh, a graphic novel adaptation i'll have to i'll have to pick up in the future once it comes out yeah, it'll be interesting to see sort of how they handle the story in comic book form, mm-hmm. especially since this, I mean, obviously comic books can be violent too, but like the series can be so violent sometimes. So it'll be interesting to see sort of like what angles and storylines they decide to take with it. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, the other piece of adaptation news that we have is that there's going to be another adaptation or the of Agatha Christie. Um, so BBC One is doing sort of like a collection of Agatha story adaptations. And so the next one that they're doing is the ABC murders. Um, Sarah Phelps is adapting this title. And the most interesting thing to me is that John Malkovich is playing her uh, Perot. And then Rupert Grint is playing Inspector Chrome. I never like never in a million years would I have picked either of those people to be in an Agatha Christie adaptation, like especially John Malkovich as Perot. Like, I, I don't even know what that's going to be like. Is this going, like, I I have to watch this one, like, for sure. I mean, I enjoy watching them in general, especially the BBC ones that have been coming out. But yeah, I mean, this is the this one I think can be a darker story. Um, again, we'll have a link to the articles that uh, we're talking about in the show notes. But uh, Phelps, who is the executive producer, um, said that it's set in the seething, suspicious early 1930s. The ABC murders is a brutal story of violence and lies, the long shadow of the past and the slaughter to come. Um, so clearly, like, I mean, obviously, like Agatha Christie does have like murder and things like that in her books but it seems like that they are taking a slightly darker route with this adaptation so i'm like super intrigued just to see what this is going to be like because yeah again that's crazy casting to me (laughs) and i i have not read that one as we mentioned before i'm not i've I've only read you know like one and a half agatha christie novels at this point i'm just hung up on rupert grint um because i'm sorry i (laughs) I mean, I haven't seen anything that he's been in since Harry Potter, but I don't think I could see anything that he was in that wasn't Harry Potter where I'd be like, he's so typecast in my mind. Mm. Um, And I feel like I feel like at this point, Daniel Radcliffe has just done so many wacky movies that I, I could I'm just kind of like, yeah, I mean, like he's Harry Potter, but he's he's done enough stuff to separate from that that I'm like, eh, I don't know that he's Harry Potter anymore. Also, Harry Potter doesn't have a beard like that. Um, but Rupert Grint, I've still got his Ron Weasley. So I, I don't know. That would, that would just be so weird for me. Yeah. I, again, I'm just, I just have to watch it and see what it's like because I just have so many questions about what this, this is going to be like. All right. Well, I will, you get, I'll, we'll have you report back. Yeah, I will. <laughs> okay. So, um, before we get into the meat of our episode, we've got our first official sponsor for this episode, which is Exit Strategy by Charlton Pettis. Um, this is a debut novel for crooked politicians and white-collar criminals looking to escape. There's Exit Strategy. 
With just one call, Exit Strategy helps these wealthy but wanted types disappear completely. They can fake your death, give you a new name and face, and launder whatever ill-gotten funds you may need to establish a new life anywhere in the world. When Jordan Parrish, the brilliant founder of a medical technology startup, made the call, he thought he had no other way out. But after his exit, he began to wonder, was he just a victim of bad luck or was someone working against him? Uh, so this story is built around the idea of the perfect escape. It kind of takes a Black Mirror-style approach, imagining a world similar to the one we know, but with one extreme twist. Ul- the ultra-wealthy have the ability to change their identities with a single phone call. And as kind of an, another interesting little factoid, um, the author actually worked with the 80s band Tears for Fears, and we, and so we, we read that we immediately, <laughs> Rincey and I both hopped on our phones at the same time, we went to Google this. And it's, yeah, it sounds like he was a music producer or something, but he worked closely with the band, um, which is really, which is, this is really, it's a fun factoid. Um, but he used his experience of traveling the world with the band to inform his globe-trotting plot for his, for his debut novel. Um, they also mentioned that it's a perfect book for readers of William Gibson, Michael Crichton, and Robert Ludlum. So if this sounds like it's up your alley, make sure to check out Exit Strategy by Charlton Pettis. And we thank them very much for sponsoring the show. All right. So for our main topic for this episode, uh, we decided to read Asian and Asian American mystery books. It is Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month here in the United States. The month of May um, is devoted to that. And so we figured it would be a good idea to um, talk about a little bit, maybe our experiences reading Asian or Asian American mysteries. And then we both picked up a couple of books, or I think we both picked up one book uh, to read for this episode because neither of us read that fast, guys. Come on. Um, Um, So have you read a lot of like books in translation or even just Asian American uh, authors in mystery in the mystery world? I feel like they're offhand. It's hard to just immediately think of, in my opinion, Asian or Asian American mystery writers. Uh, The first thing I always think of are like Japanese mm -hmm. translations. Um, But I feel like more and more I'm starting to like find more of them partially because I'm seeking it out. But I think like. It's hard to there's no like big name, I would say. Yeah, I'm I'm actually going right now I'm pulling up my Goodreads on my phone to to go back. I I mean, it's not a it um I I haven't read many of those types of mysteries, definitely more so since I started writing for Book Riot and since we started doing the podcast. Um but yeah, the, I have. Yeah, I've read. I've read several by um, Japanese authors. Um, another one that sticks out in my mind that that I've muppet armed about a lot. It's The Widows of Malabar Hill by Sujata Masi. Um, but and I I know I have some some other ones on my to read list. But yeah, a lot of them have ended up being Japanese crime writers. And part I mean part of that is. I think, yeah, I can't think of one particular author that stands out. I can think, you know, I can think of uh, a few that I know have critically acclaimed books, like multiple books out, so their names are more recognizable. Um, I'm thinking of uh, Keigo Higashino. Um, Let's see, Natsuo Kirino, who wrote Out. Um, Kane Minato, who wrote Confessions, and um, her new book that came out, I think, last year? 
the year before, Penance, which was nominated for an Edgar Award. Um, so those are those are names that I that I am starting to like that I'm recognizing on their own. Um, but yeah, it's not. Um, yeah, it's it's. I, I, def- I don't want to call it a subgenre because that's not that's not that's not what it is. But it, um, I haven't I haven't read a ton of of mystery or crime or thriller or whatever from uh, from an Asian or Asian American author's perspective. And the ones that I have read, though, it's it has been very. I think I mentioned a couple times on the podcast too. It's been very interesting seeing the cultural differences in how crimes are investigated and how how like you know members of the police force interact with each other how people react to crimes and how people react to like how they respond to ideas of like personal responsibility and stuff like that so it's really it's really interesting like you know it's you you recognize the crime and the mystery at the heart of the novel but there's so many different elements to it that we're not familiar with in western culture yeah and i think that in general if you're reading a mystery or thriller that's like set in another country, especially there's going to be a whole, I don't want to say like different set of customs, but there is like different procedures and things like that. And so it's always really interesting seeing sort of how mysteries unfold, especially if they're taking place internationally and how things are investigated and how things are, are not handled um, like within a police force, like you were saying, or even just like how people react to the police and things like that. Um, is part of the reason why I like reading mysteries that take place like around the world and stuff like that, just because we have such an American and probably even just like English centered focus when it comes to mysteries a lot of times and just culture in general, uh, just because of like where we live. And I think that obviously like it's very different in uh, different countries. And like even with The Widows of Malabar Hill, like you were just mentioned, like in that one, they talk a lot about how like people of the Muslim faith who are like, a certain level of conservative within the faith, like have certain things that they can and can't do with the police because of like the way that men and women interact with each other and stuff like that. And just seeing how that unfolded and was handled within the book itself was really well done and well handled. Yeah, I I agree that that book in particular, I mean, like I said, I have, I have raved about that, that book since I read it last year, but um, yeah, there, and you have that book is, um, historical mystery as well so not only do you have different cultural elements but you have historical elements on top of that um but yeah it's i thought she did just a really a really great job at not only portraying those differences or portraying those those customs or or behaviors but really incorporating them into the mystery in how um is it Perveen? Is that the main character's name? Yeah. Okay. In how she can go about investigating the mystery because she has, you know, there are these cultural norms and cultural restraints, um, both in terms of how she moves through the world and how she interacts with the with the women who uh, with the widows that are set to uh, inherit, and then they they are also choosing to donate the inheritance from from their uh, deceased husband, but. You know, it, I think she just does a really great job of organically just incorporating those elements into the story. It just makes for a really, a really different reading experience. Yeah, it's um, interesting while you were talking about that. Um, one of the books that I've also mentioned on the previous podcast, I think in the noir episode, I mentioned reading The Gun um, by Fuminori Nakamura. Um, he 
Right. In that story, it's about a character who comes across a dead body and he sees a gun sitting next to the dead body and he decides to take the gun and he like becomes obsessed with it. And like one of the things you have to know sort of reading that story is that in Japanese culture and in Japan in general, like they don't see guns very often. And so one of the reasons why like he becomes like if you just read it straight off, it doesn't make sense. Like why would this guy become obsessed with a gun? Like, and why would he even pick it up? Like that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But in Japanese culture, like guns are extremely rare and you never would see one in real life or almost never would see one in real life. So the, like coming across a gun is like this huge shocking thing. And then the idea of like taking it is like another huge shocking thing. And that's sort of like the basis that you need to have uh, reading that story because it makes more sense than the actions that the character takes and like why he becomes so obsessed with this gun and why it starts like almost controlling his mind and things like that. Like in American culture, like we're so exposed to guns all the time that to us it doesn't necessarily have the same impact unless you like know that about how Japanese culture works. Yeah, it's yeah, it that I remember you talking about that one and I am familiar with or I haven't read it I haven't read it yet, but I am familiar with that book and yeah, you're right. It just adds like not only are like the nuances of the story different, the complete like the entire context of the story doesn't make sense unless you unless you consider it from the the perspective in which it's being written. Um, and one of the other things, one of the other things too that, well, that I've always wondered, I mean, I think everyone wonders about in terms of translated books, um, but for, for mysteries and, and that I read that are translated, there's, you know, there's always an element where I'm wondering what, you know what what nuances or what what elements of the story am i missing in the translation um and you know i i don't imagine that there's anything major that would be missing because otherwise i think that would be a very poor translation especially if it's for a mystery novel where you know these major things are kind of the point of of the story um but it's i'm just you know inter- interested to I'd be interested to to read an analysis of of a particular novel maybe like maybe there's some nuance to how a character is portrayed and that changes the way the reader feels about the, feels about the character by the end of the story or something like that. It's always, it's, it's an element that, you know, that I've, that I've always wondered about. And like, if a translation feels like, you know, if you, if you're hearing, if you're reading a translation and it doesn't, I'm trying to figure out the best way to phrase it, but like, if it, if it feels like, like if you can't tell that it's translated, because I feel like depending on, what um depending on the translator depending on the nationality of the author um depending on the writing style there's some books that that feel more translated and that's you know coming from a from a anglocentric perspective but um for books that that don't have that feel that just that that feel like they were uh, they were originally written in english um i'm wonder i'm i'm wondering yeah what what elements were lost um, so it's, that's just kind of a long rambling, uh, thing that, that just pops into my mind whenever I read, whenever I read translated works and I'm, as I'm reading more of them, it pops into my head more often. I know. I always, um, have this sort of discussion almost. So like every summer I pick a big book to read and like lately they've been sort of like classics, like, um, I read, uh, or, what, yeah, I'm going to read uh, Three Musketeers, for example. And so like one of the things um, that I've 
discussed in the past, like especially when doing translated works, like I've done um, War and Peace in the past and things like that. And people are like, there's always like huge debates about like which translation do you get because it's about there are like so many different routes you can go. It's you can ask like, do you want the one that's the most accurate so to speak translation or do you want one that's like extremely readable and like the story the general story is this like you know Mm -hmm. the the plot points and the everything is the same it's just that like word choices might change just based on stylistic things to make the story be more readable to a modern reader or something along those lines and things like that and so i always find those conversations really interesting too and just seeing like how different translators handle different things um it also reminded me of i think it was last year there was a story that came out i think it was when for han king's book the vegetarian i want to say um where like the I, i don't know if it was like someone read the original and then read the English translation and was like, whoa, these feel very, very different from each other. And then like there were like news articles talking about how like the type, like how the translation of that book, it's specifically going from, I think it's Korean uh, to English. Like it just has a completely different sense that reading it in Korean and reading it in English and whether or not like the English version could be considered accurate anymore and things like that since this news came out and stuff like that. I'll, if I can, I, I'll try to find that article and link to it in the show notes. Um, but yeah, again, I'm in the same boat. I think these like sort of conversations are always really, really interesting because there can never be like a perfect translation and you always have to make some sort of compromises along the way. Yeah, definitely. And that would actually be a really interesting article to read because that that is one of the... Um, I mean, that's, that really straddles the line between, you know, literary fiction and suspense. But that's one that I have read. Um, so I would be, yeah, I'd be very interested to see how the, how the two, yeah, how the, how the two uh, versions differ. Um, but to, uh, I was going to say, for the books that we read for this episode, tell me about yours, because I have never heard of the author and I've never heard of the book before. So I'm, I'm very interested to hear about this one. Yeah, so when uh, prepping for this episode, I did like a deep dive into the internet because I wanted to read an author who is specifically Asian American. Um, and I felt like everything that I had known, either the author was Asian and their book was translated or they were British for some reason. I don't know why those are always the two options. <laughs> um, so I did some like crazy deep dives trying to find um, authors that were Asian American and also that just seemed interesting to me. So the book that I read uh, was Summer of the Big Bocce by Naomi Hirahara. And this came out in like, oh man, the late 90s, I want to say. Oh, wow. And there's a, yeah, and, and like part of it, and just as a side, like I, I could tell because when I was reading the book, the character pulls out a map oh. to figure out where to go. <laughs> And like that plot point in particular, like made me laugh out loud because I was like, oh, man, that's a thing that happened. (laughs) Maps. Um, Remember maps. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Anyways, um, so in this book, um, it takes place in Southern California, I think around the Los Angeles area. And you are following this character named Masarai, who basically works as like – landscaper gardener type of person like he mows the lawns and like cuts the bushes for people around the city um and then one day um someone comes to his life or like a stranger approaches him and starts asking questions about this other japanese man who lives in the area that uh runs like the local gardening store and he used to live in hiroshima and 
Moss or Moss knows him from their past in Japan, but he like pretends like he doesn't because they sort of have had some sort of falling out. Um, but by the end of the summer, um, the man that they are looking for will be dead as well as a couple of other people. And so it turns out that there is some sort of connection from their past in Japan um, that's followed them now to the United States. And so it's this mystery trying to figure out what exactly is happening. Um, it's partially a mystery for the reader because you don't know everything about the past right away. And so it's sort of a slow reveal of that as well as like what happened to this friendship or relationship as well as like who is searching for this man and now is the main character Moss in danger as well. Um, it's really interesting too because um, the characters were living in Hiroshima in 1945 when the bomb dropped. So that also has like um, a role in the story as well. And so I like this book. It was kind of a slow start. The one thing I will say is that um, they it is written in a dialect. So when the Japanese characters are speaking, um, it's written in a Japanese dialect. So I felt that does, at least for me personally, like it does slow me down whenever things are written in a dialect. And I don't know if that bothers other people, but I thought I would mention that uh, just in case. Um, and the mystery itself was really interesting, but I think just the part that I enjoyed the most was sort of reading about these characters' lives and what it was like for them to immigrate into the United States, what it was like for them to be living in Hiroshima when the bomb dropped and how that impacted the rest of their lives and how it impacted like even their families and friends and things like that and how they view the future. Um, and just like what it's like to be an Asian or an Asian American and living in the United States in this modern age. It was just, yeah, it's com completely out of the blue. I believe that this author has written a number of mystery books. So I definitely plan on picking up more um, from them in the future, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was Again, just something I've never heard of before, but it sounded interesting. So I picked it up from the library. So yay for libraries. <laughs> yay, libraries. Great for backlist <laughs> books. And Yeah, it really is. <laughs> and I was going to say, when you were like, when you started thinking about what year was written, I was thinking like, oh, you know, 10 years ago, you know, that's what we, you're like, late 90s. I'm like, oh, we're talking 20 years ago. And I know that's not really that old, but it's older than a lot of the books we've talked about on this show. <laughs> Yep, that's for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, for my book, um, I chose The Hole by Hyung Pyun, which I think is how you pronounce it. I do apologize in advance for any mispronunciations that I may do. Um, but for this book, uh, the book is um, Hyung Pyun is a uh, Korean author, and um, I, I know you said you you really wanted to make sure that you found a book written by an Asian American author. For me, I wanted to find a book written by a non Japanese author because those tended to be the books that I that I went for. Um, so I was yeah I kind of you know went through my Goodreads list to find the one find ones that I had you know that I, that I had highlighted and um, to or that I had saved my to read list. Um, but this one. Had, this one was published just ooh, last year, I think. It's it's a new it's definitely a newer book, and um, it had gotten some really interesting reviews. Um, it had gotten it had gotten good reviews from a few book riot readers, and it definitely it's it's kind of like it kind of like meets in the middle of like a Venn diagram of like psychological suspense, literary fiction, and horror. Um, which of course is totally my jam. Um, but it's, um, 
it's it's a it's an interesting read and i'll give just a little bit of the of the story because there's not much in terms of like what actually happens um the main character's name is ogi and he at the beginning of the book he's uh woken up from a coma um he's been in a car accident his wife has died um and basically the only family he has left is his mother-in-law and she uh as he kind of becomes acclimated to his to this new life because he's almost entirely paralyzed he can't speak uh, he can, you know he can just you know barely move one hand um, he's essentially bedridden and so he's trying to adjust to this life um, and also adjust to the fact that his wife has died and that the only family he has now is his mother-in-law who he has kind of a complicated relationship with but she essentially becomes his his caretaker and the the story is it's built around the idea of neglect because she's not a his i mean she's his caretaker but she's she's not she does not take care of him she neglects him she has her own um her own struggles that she's dealing with, whether it's grief or anger or whatever it may be, but she has her own things that she's dealing with um, that are kind of manifested in how in how she treats Ogi. And um, as he he's as he's bedridden, you know, she doesn't feed him regularly. She doesn't um, she doesn't you know change his bandages regularly. Um, but she does spend a lot of time out in the garden surrounding their surrounding their house. Uh, which was like the the one thing that his wife was really focused on was maintaining their garden and she and as he he can only watch it from out his window and he just sees his mother-in-law digging this this ginormous hole in their garden not really knowing why or what it is um and so this book um this book it was short like it was like barely 200 pages so it made it made for a very for a fast read um the problem that i have with reading these types of books is because i do tend to read books quickly and this one i i um downloaded as an ebook on my phone so that also i think tends to make for a faster reading experience for me and i know that i missed a lot of the literary nuance of the story um the the suspense part and the kind of the uneasiness i thought was was really interesting because i'm really drawn towards books where the caretaker is not a, a caretaker like like think think of misery by stephen king like that that to me is like it's like the quintessential the like the quintessential I'm at the mercy of my caretaker kind of story. Um, but whether it's, you know, someone who is injured or ill and there's someone taking care, care of them or if it's a parent that is doing harm to their child um, through neglect or whatever, I've, for whatever reason, I'm drawn to those types of stories. They, they're just very, very chilling for me. Um, so I was... I was very interested in that aspect of the story, but I know that I missed a lot of like the subtle uh, character, uh, the character building because Ogi spends a lot of time. A lot of the story is told, you know, he's basically he's trapped inside his head, but he's remembering 
instances in his relationship with his wife, which was also very complicated. Um, and so you learn things about him, about his wife, about his mother-in-law, about his wife's, his wife's other family. Um, and so I know, I know there are some things that, that I did not pick up the first time, but I think it's definitely a book that would warrant a reread. It's, um, yeah, if you're, if you're interested in, in like, quiet psychological suspense horror kind of thing where that you know it's short but if you're if you're willing to to really kind of sit with it and and savor it I think this would be a really really interesting book to pick up and again that was The Hole by Hai Young Pyeon. Okay Um, I think that's everything that we wanted to talk about for this episode so um, I am going to jump into the second sponsor and that is The 49th Mystic by Ted Decker. This is the first book in the Beyond the Circle series. Some say the great mystery of how one can live in two worlds at once died with Thomas Hunter many years ago. Still others that the gateway to the greater reality was and is only the stuff of dreams. They are wrong. In the small town of Eden, Utah, a blind girl named Rochelle Matthews is about to find out just how wrong. So begins a two-volume saga of high stakes and a mind-bending quest to find an ancient path that will save humanity. The clock is ticking. The end rushes forward. Ready, set, dream. So this is a new series from New York Times bestselling author Ted Decker. Um, He is readers will be returning to the world of his most popular series, uh, but this is just like a brand new starting series in the same world. Uh, Decker's passion is simple to explore truth through mind-bending stories that invite readers to see the world through a different lens. And Rochelle Matthews must unlock the five seals of truth to save our world from darkness. And again, that's the 49th Mystic by Ted Decker. All right. Well, I'm going to jump into the new releases. And I think, you know, I think we had a short, a slow news week this week so that we could make up for it in new releases. Um, so I've got, I've got four titles that I am specifically highlighting and then two bonus titles at the end, because I just, I can't go without mentioning these. Um, so to kick it off, I would say, Speak of the Devil, it's the new book by Fuminori Nakamura, who you were talking about before, who wrote The Gun. Um, not Sorry, just to say really quickly, I didn't even realize you had this book on your list. I did not look at what the new releases were. I didn't look at the document. So that's just a fun coincidence. I thought you had, and that was why you mentioned it. With like the, Seeing that name was like, oh yeah, he wrote The Gun. Um, well, look at that. Um, but yeah, he has a new book that just came out this week. It's called Cult X. Um, by Fuminori Nakamura, translated by Kalau Almany. Um, and it's the, I have not seen the book in person. My understanding is that it's pretty, that it's pretty thick. It, it seems to be a pretty substantial novel. Um, but the description calls it um, his magnum opus. And it's a story that dives into the psychology of fringe religion, obsession, and social disaffection. When Toru Narazaki's girlfriend, Ryoko, disappears. He tries to track her down, despite the warnings of the private detective he's hired to find her. Ryoko's past is shrouded in mystery, but the one concrete clue to her whereabouts is a previous address in the heart of Tokyo. She lives in a compound with a group that seems to be a cult, led by a charismatic guru guru with a revisionist Buddhist scheme of life, death, and society. 
Uh, Narazaki plunges into the secretive world of the cult, ready to expose himself to any of the guru's brainwashing tactics if it means he can learn the truth about Ryoko. But the cult isn't what he expected, and he has no idea of the bubbling violence he is stepping into. Um, to give a little bit of context, this book was apparently inspired by the 1995 gas terrorist attack on the Tokyo subway. It's um, an exploration of what draws p- people into extremism and extremist religion. It captures connections between astrophysics, neuroscience, religion. Um, it's an invective against predatory corporate consumerism and exploitative geopolitics and a love story about compassion in the face of nihilism. Or nihilism. So that's a lot going on in one book. Um, but I, so I can, I, without reading it, I can, I can kind of get an idea why they're calling this his magnum opus. So again, that is Cult X by Fuminori Nakamura. Uh, that is already out and available, uh, available for purchase. Um, to completely flip the table and go in, in, in a different direction. We've got a young adult mystery, Monday's Not Coming by Tiffany Jackson, which also came out this week. Tiffany Jackson uh, wrote the young adult novel Allegedly, which has been on my list for a while. Need to read that. Um, and it, her new novel, they said, is perfect for fans of E. Lockhart and Gillian Flynn. So, of course, I'm like, sign me up. <laughs> um, it's about the mystery of one teenage girl's disappearance and the tra- traumatic effects of the truth. The um, the title character, Monday Charles, is missing, and her friend Claudia is the only one who seems to notice. They've been inseparable friends, more sisters than, more like sisters than friends, and so when Monday doesn't turn up for the first day of school, Claudia is worried. And when she doesn't show for the second day or the second week, Claudia knows that something is wrong. Um, she knows Monday wouldn't just leave her to face school alone, not after last year's rumors and with her grades on the line. And now Claudia needs to be her best and only friend more than ever. But Monday's mother refuses to give Claudia a straight answer, and Monday's sister April is even less help. As Claudia digs deeper into her friend's disappearance, she discovers that no one seems to remember the last time they saw Monday. How can a teenage girl just vanish without anyone noticing that she's gone? Which... I think just sounds super cool. <laughs> and I, I, from what I know about allegedly, I have a feeling that this isn't just going to be and be a disappearance, you know, a disappearance young adult mystery. There's going to be a lot of layers and um, other, other elements to this story that's going to make it really, really interesting. So I'm adding this one to my list ASAP. And again, that is Monday's Not Coming by Tiffany Jackson. And that is already out in stores. Um, for a, for anyone who's interested in series, uh, there is, um, there's the fifth entry in Elliot Pattison's Bone Rattler series that came out this week called Savage Liberty, which takes place during the American Revolution. And I don't know why, but the, the, we don't seem to get a lot of books that are not nonfiction or Hamilton set (laughs) During the American Revolution. And for whatever reason, a mystery series set during the American Revolution is just like, I don't know, it's just so weird. Not not weird. I, just, I take that back. It just seems so unusual. I feel like I'm like there was some there was some heavy stuff going on at that time. It doesn't feel like anyone had time to solve a mystery. But um, but again, this is the this is the fifth entry in the Bone Rattler series. Follows the uh, the main character is Duncan McCallum, who's an exiled Scotsman, and um, 
And so his, his path leads him through to the American Revolution. When a ship arriving from London explodes in Boston Harbor, both the peace of the colonial city and Duncan McCallum's life are shattered. He's summoned by his new friend, John Hancock, to a beach awash with the bodies of victims. Duncan discovers that the ship was deliberately sabotaged, apparently to cover the theft by French agent, agent provocateurs of a secret document being carried to the Sons of Liberty. Hancock refuses to let him take his evidence to the authorities because this is 1768 and relations with the government are so sour that officials are being hanged in effigy. Fearing that the intrigues of Hancock and the Sons of Liberty might set the colonies ablaze, Duncan relentlessly pursues the truth only to be falsely charged with treason and murder. To escape the hangman's noose and restore his honor, Duncan has no choice but to follow a northbound trail of violence and deception while being relentlessly hounded by bountymen and vengeful soldiers. Um, and uh, it also goes on, Duncan survives scalp hunters, imprisonment, and his own spiritual crisis, only to realize he cannot resolve the terrible crimes until he first understands the emerging truths about freedom in the American colonies. Um, so again, that is Savage Liberty by Elliot Pattinson. It is out already in stores. It's the fifth entry in the series. I don't know if you have to, if you have to read them in order or if you're new to the series, if you can pick it, pick it up just kind of midstream. Um, if anyone has read the series, please let us know. <laughs> I'm not, a, I'm not a series reader, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not a good person to ask about that. Um, and then for uh, for next week we have a uh, have a new hard boiled novel coming out. I know we don't always talk about those types of novels, so I wanted to throw that out there because I know we've got some fans of hard boiled noir that listen to the show. Um, but the book is called Blood Standard by Laird Barron. It's out next Tuesday, May 29th. and this is um, Laird Barron has written other books, but this is his crime fiction debut with a novel set in the underbelly of upstate New York, which I did not think had an underbelly, but okay. Um, but it says it's as hard-boiled and punchy as a swift right hook to the jaw. Classic noir for fans of James Elroy and John McDonald. Um, Isaiah Coleridge is a mob enforcer in Alaska. Again, not words that I expected to see next to each other in the same sentence. Um, he's tough. He's seen a lot. He's dished out more. But when he forcibly ends the money-making scheme of a made man, he gets in the kind of trouble that can lead to a bullet behind the ear. He's saved by the grace of his boss and exiled to upstate New York. Um, Isaiah begins a new life, quiet life, without gunshots or explosions. Except there's a teenage girl who disappears, and Isaiah isn't one to let that slip by. And delving into the underworld to track this missing girl will get him exactly the kind of notice he was warned to avoid. And again, that is Blood Standard by Laird Barron. And that is coming out on May 29th. That's next Tuesday. And then we've got two honorable mentions that I could not that I could not uh, skip mentioning for this episode. One is the new Ruth Ware book, uh, The Death of Mrs. Westaway. All of her books seem to be instant bestsellers. So I definitely wanted to uh, let you know that that was coming out, although a lot of you probably already knew that. Um, so that's going to be coming out next Tuesday on the 29th. And dun-dun-dun, we are finally here for the... For the release date of The President is Missing, Bill Clinton and James Patterson. So that's coming out uh, Tuesday, May 29th as well. Um, and expect in a future episode that Rincey and I will be getting copies of that book so that we can eagerly discuss it.
Um, for the record, I have been searching for that book in my library's um, catalog, like, weekly to see if it's been added. They only have the audiobook version listed so far, so I'm pretty sure I have to wait until, like, May 29th. But the thing that makes me the most happy, at least while I'm searching, is that the first uh, result besides the president, like the president is missing, doesn't even show up in the first result. The first uh, result is the president's mane is missing, which is about a horse, <laughs> I think. <laughs> and I don't know why, but that just makes me laugh every time I search for it. <laughs> I'm searching my library's catalog now. Well, yep, we've got, we've got eight holds already. Oh my gosh. I'm so jealous because usually my library is so like on top of it and I can be early on the hold list, but this one they don't have even in the catalog yet yeah that's come on it's a that's so surprising it's a new james patterson yeah i was gonna say with my library i mean or the library that that i work at i mean you pretty much james patterson thinks about writing a new book and we've got a catalog <laughs> entry for it <laughs> like he james patterson is probably the, our number one author amongst our patrons so i'm yeah we probably had this you know i should just for snicks, I should go into our. I should go into the back end of our catalog tomorrow and see when was this record created. How long has this been sitting there? Um, but yeah, so that's coming out next week, and we will definitely at some point, probably over the summer, be talking about the president is missing because we've been talking about it for pretty much almost a year now, and I feel like we've got to deliver on on this excitement. <laughs> All right, um, so. I we're moving on to currently reading and what we plan on reading soon. And I have not been reading much of anything. Um, so I and I also have no idea what I want to read next. So the only thing I've read in the past two weeks that was a mystery was Summer of the Big Bocce, uh, which I have already talked about, obviously. Uh, but I literally have like 15 books out from the library and I really need to read some of these. Um, so I'm just going to very quickly mention some of the ones that I have out from the library. Um, I have Blanche on the Lamb, which I have mentioned before on the podcast, I believe, as one that I potentially uh could read soon. And I think I've had this book out for like three months now. Um, you are following this black woman who I believe is in her 40s. She's like a domestic worker and she works as like a maid and a cleaner for these wealthy families. And in the house that she works in, um, someone ends up dead and she actually is one of the main suspects for the murder. And so she basically has to solve the crime herself in order to get herself off the hook. Um, so this uh yeah the story is supposed to be sort of closer to like a cozy mystery sort of situation so i think i am craving something like that just because some i need something i think light and fun and it's also a little bit on the shorter side um Another one I recently picked up is Silver Bullets by Elmer Mendoza, which I may or may not get to soon. I also just have some more time uh, left on that library hold. But it, that is one by a Mexican author. And I just randomly came across his name one day when I was going through like publisher catalogs, like seeing what upcoming book releases were coming out. And his name popped up as a mystery writer. And I was like, oh, I've never even heard of that name before. And he's actually a Mexican author. And I think his third book is being translated into English this year. So I kind of just randomly picked up the first book from the library just to see what it's like. And that one is, I think is sort of more of like a crime drama. From what I can tell, you're following this detective who um, 
gets a case where this high profile lawyer is found dead with a single silver bullet killing him. And he was basically a lawyer who led a double life. So he was the son of a politician. And then he was dating the daughter of a drug lord. And so obviously, there's just a lot of questions about who killed him. Um, So those are just two things I'll mention in this episode. We'll see which ones I end up reading, if it's either of those or maybe one of the other millions of books I have sitting on my shelf. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Um, I, uh, well, I was going to say, I'm happy to report that I actually, that when I was talking about the whole, um, I did actually finish that book because a lot of times I'd like, I will pick a book that I want to talk about in the upcoming episode and I never get to finish it by the, t- by the time we actually record, but I finished it this time. I'm so excited. So yay for me. I get a gold sticker. Um, but yeah, I've kind of yeah, life life's been been a little hectic and I haven't had a chance to really sit down and read a ton of books. Um at least de- definitely not mystery related. Um I did start reading uh The Road to Jonestown by Jeff Gwynn, which um which I've mentioned a few times on this show. It's um like I guess yeah, it's it's true crime. Um, it was nominated for an Edgar Award. It's about uh, Jim Jones and the People's Temple. Um, and so far, I'm I'm in the very beginning part where it's kind of like you know background biographical information. So it's a little slow going, but interesting enough that I think um, I'm definitely interested uh, to keep going with it. Um, but yeah, that that's one I've had checked out from the library for a while, and I'm like I need to get this one back. <laughs> um, and then I also have. Um, also from the library, um, Our Kind of Cruelty by um, Araminta Hall, which came out last month? Last month yeah, or this month? So. It was very recently. Um, and it's gotten it's gotten good reviews. It's gotten, um, I've had um, a couple of people who have listened to the show or just uh, Book Riot fans who have mentioned that they really liked it. Um, the, the hook that the publisher's using for, for this book is that um, you know, it's the unreliable narrator, except the narrator's a man. And I'm like, yeah, I like I appreciate what they're what they're doing with that, but I'm like, I feel like men as unreliable narrators isn't that new. Um Yeah, that's that's literally what all of like literature no, is. Like mystery. Yeah. <laughs> um and I and I understand the point that they're trying to make. A lot of times when you talk about unreliable narrators, which we did, you know, a couple episodes ago, um, they're usually they're usually women and there's a lot of stuff to unpack there. So um but the but a couple people who have read it said that they really liked it. Um and I happened to be um putting it in a book blog post for um for the library and when I was looking it up in the catalog, it said available. It was on our new fi- our new fiction collection. I literally looked up from the desk where I where I was putting this in. I looked up, I'm like, oh, there it is, and so I just grabbed it. Um, so I'm hopefully going to be getting to be getting to that soon before someone puts a hold on it. Um, and then, yeah, I've got a couple other library books, but they're. Um, it's like I'm right lately. I've either been reading mystery novels or I've been reading feminist nonfiction like i walked past our new our new releases the other the other day and i could not believe it we had a copy of not that bad just sitting out on the shelf Uh. and i'm like how does this not have a million holds on it i'm taking this immediately so um so i grabbed that that so i'm gonna um i'm gonna have that on my list but yeah i've and of course, I've got a towering stack of books that I picked up in the last several months after telling people how good I had been at not buying books. 
And there's probably like 15 books on that, just on that stack alone. So I don't know. (laughs) I just don't know. Um, The struggle is real. Yeah. So yeah, very much. So yeah, this that that'll be uh, tune in next week to find out what we actually end up reading. <laughs> that's a good that's a good cliffhanger. I like Woo-hoo. that. <laughs> All right, so that's our show. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. Um, for show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com/slash/listen and head to the Red or Dead page. There will be links to the news articles that we mentioned earlier, as well as links to all of the books that we have mentioned in this episode. If you enjoyed the podcast, definitely leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that way other people can discover us and come join in on this fun community. If you want to email us, like Katie had mentioned at the top of the show, um, if you have comments about the episode or if you have suggestions about future episodes that you want us to do or questions or anything like that that you want us to talk about here on the show, you can email us at riderdead at bookriot.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Rincy A. And I am on Twitter at KT underscore library lady. And we will talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye.